Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And for today's Throwback Thursday, we are going back to the 15th of September 2007 and Arsenal's 3-1 win at White Hart Lane. Now, Jason, you chose this game. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just remember one goal in particular, and we'll come to it then, of just being a class goal. Um, everything that kind of epitomised what Arsenal were um, and uh, the dominance we had over Tottenham Hotspur during that era. Also, it gave me good memories um, for this podcast because I believe you and I were together when this game happened. And I I believe the story is that you came over and I said, you're coming over to watch the game, the derby. And we realised that Arsenal had decided to make, I think it was when the TV rights came in and they decided that, no, we're not going to broadcast it on Arsenal.com anymore. So we had to regrettably watch the game or rather listen to the game in my sister's room on her laptop. <laughs> and I believe that was it. We listened to the to the game like, like the old days. Um, so I guess it has a, a strong memory in my in my heart, I, I, I suppose, about the good old Zurich days. Yeah, it's funny. I, I feel strangely uh, nostalgic as well, looking back on it, even though obviously it wasn't a very pleasant result uh, for Tottenham. But I remember as well, didn't we have some sort of argument where we were following it as well on the kind of the live text updates and we decided that both the Arsenal and the Spurs websites were both too biased and so we agreed on the neutral uh, BBC Sport live text is what we would follow while we were listening along on the radio because that was the only source of information that both of us could trust. I mean that sounds pretty much like us to be honest and and let's be honest it, it does act like that when you look at all the Twitter channels now today they're so biased um to their clubs and I guess it makes sense you know I don't particularly care that uh Robbie Keane passed to Bale and they missed a chance I want to hear about the mistake that Arsenal made because that's that's my focus so it makes sense um on that on that front but um yeah it was, it was an interesting dynamic it uh it's all changed today we wouldn't be we wouldn't dare just listen to that game anymore we'd have to be there in in the flesh or be watching every moment intently yeah, it was, a, it was a simpler time. I remember this was kind of the first kind of Spurs team I remember. And the first sort of one of the first seasons I followed from from beginning to end. It was in those early days of football fandom. And it was quite nice to see the sight of Martin Yoll on the touchline with his arms folded, his chewing gum, the, the Tottenham, the blue Tottenham tracksuit on. Um, and he was the first Spurs manager who I kind of remember and was my first Spurs manager, really. And I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves in terms of starting Tottenham's upward trajectory. Obviously, Redknapp gets the credit for getting us into the Champions League for the first time, Pochettino for finishing above Arsenal and, and the Champions League final run and the, the title challenges. But really, the, the season before this one that we're, we're talking about right now, Martignol could have both got us into the Champions League and finished above Arsenal if it wasn't for a dodgy lasagna. Um, so I don't think he really gets the, the full credit he deserves for starting the, the Tottenham renaissance. And in this game, we do go into a 1-0 lead through a player we had signed that summer, an 18-year-old Gareth Bale, who is looking very young and fresh-faced if you watch the highlights of this game back. And it's funny because the free kick was different to how I remembered it because when it goes in, it's so low. I had this recollection that it was one of those where the wall had jumped in the air and the ball had gone underneath the wall, but actually it goes up and over and down and dips. And it just shows the sort of quality and technique he had even from 
an early age. I remember when we signed him from Southampton, Man United were after him, and there were lots of comparisons to David Beckham in terms of his free kick taking ability. And you could see that here with the opening goal, although I suspect that you will have issues as ever with Manuel Almunia's goalkeeping here. Oh, absolutely. I have issues even before that goal um, when Gilberto was actually, for some reason, patrolling at centre-back that day, Gilberto Silva. Um, and he made this strange kind of rash tackle early on in the game, which is strange considering he was an invincible a few years before that. Um, and you thought he would have had the quality and experience to cope with that. Um and then when the, there's the setup of this free kick, again, you're thinking young boy in Bale hasn't done anything spectacular. You'd expect him to hit the wall or, you know, easy save for the keeper. And Almunia's kind of pointing and speaking at the wall. And then you look at and you look at the highlights. He's, I don't know who he's speaking to. He's talking, but no one's like responding to him. And he's not he's so far away and he's po- like pointing fingers. And it's like about it doesn't make any sense. Regardless, it was a very good free kick. But again, I think Almunia had that time. To save it, I kind of think that Robbie Keane slightly distracted him as he ran across um, the goal. But you know, good free kick, and again, nothing that I wouldn't expect. But he did, he did redeem himself uh, later on the game, Almunia, with a with a few um, with a few key uh, saves. But there were also mistakes littered throughout. Well, speaking of goalkeepers, Paul Robinson in this game, it's um, he played better than I remembered actually there's quite a few key saves he makes because watching the highlights back it, it it seems that for large stretches of the game Arsenal rule over us and that actually you could have it could have been more than 3-1 if you'd taken your chances but also Spurs had a lot more chances than I remembered given that the 3-1 scoreline I remembered this being something of a thrashing but actually even at 1-0 up we had opportunities to go 2-0 up and potentially even kill the game off I mean there's a moment where Berbatov goes round Almunia and I think it's Colo Torre, who's between him and the goal, and rather than shooting first time, he tries to go past Torre and he tackles it off him. Um, and actually, I remember both Spurs and Paul Robinson playing better than I remembered. Robinson making quite a few good saves from Adebayor and other players, but then it is arguably another goalkeeping error that lets Arsenal back into the game with Adebayor's header from an in-swinging free kick, where Robinson seems to get caught in no man's land. And Robinson, of course, who was England's number one at that point. Um, what did you think of, of Arsenal's equalising goal? Well, it was it was uh, all seemed to be in that game a bit of an, a combination between Cesc Fabregas and Emmanuel Adibayor, two of my favourite Arsenal players actually in history, contextualised to to these seasons. And you know, it was fantastic vision by Fabregas to find Adibayor in the box, almost almost telepathic. But I have no idea what Robinson was doing. Um, it seemed like a classic. Spurs goalkeeper error um, and a classic Paul Robinson at the time error um, but yeah it was it was a it seemed like an easy goal and an inevitability um, and again you, you've got to think what did Martin Yole say to them at half time you're one up you're all over us in the first half of the passing and you've, you mentioned that Berbatov chance um, you know we had a couple of chances Adiboyle missed a few sitters but um, yeah you, you wonder why um, you let us back into the game. And then there was kind of that initial reaction with, with um, I believe it was Robbie Keane had a really good chance. Now, Munia, funny enough, made a very good save. And it's, it surprised me because usually it would go straight under his legs um, regardless. And and again, there was another one with, with Berbatov, who he, I think it was, 
I think it might be Tor- was it Torre again? It went someone cleared it off the yeah, line. It might unbelievable. Bishi maybe or Sanya. Yeah. Someone was standing on the goalposts and yeah, it comes in from a corner and Berbatov's got a free shot in the box and it's one of those where nowadays you'd be kind of looking at the referee's watch like oh did it cross the line anyway? Well, I think Berbatov appeals for like a handball or something. But yeah, it comes off his chest and between that and the Robbie Keane, those are both opportunities that those two strikers normally would have buried and put away and I suppose in retrospect you look at those chances not going in and you say well you know that was proof it wasn't Tottenham's day those are the chances that you have to take if you want to win these sort of games and like you said about what did Martignol say at half time I think in a way this match was emblematic of the the gap between Spurs and Arsenal at the time it showed how we were starting to knock on the door and put the pressure on to use your favorite phrase Hmm. and start to give you more of a game but at the end of the day your extra bit of quality or perhaps mentality at that stage shone through. And for us missing those sitters that you think any striker could score, it was two wonder goals that settled the game and made it look more comfortable for Arsenal than perhaps it actually was. Although the Fabregas goal, am I being too harsh in thinking that Paul Robinson again could have done better? I mean, first of all, our defending, we've given Cesc Fabregas all the time and space in the world to take that shot on. And then with Paul Robinson, I I seem to remember him being very weak from distance. He would be a good shot stopper when things were right in front of him. But when a shot would come in from distance, he would always seem to get beat, no matter how good the strike was. I mean, it is a very good strike from Cesc Fabregas, but when you compare it to the third goal, which we'll get onto, I'm not sure it's quite as unstoppable as that one was. What what are your thoughts on the the Fabregas goal that that put you 2-1 up? Well, it's very funny you used that phrase just before, because what I wrote down after watching the highlights once again was that Cesc had all the space in the world. <laughs> and yeah. I think that sums a lot up about maybe the communication between your defence and midfield and kind of having that tight unit at the time. It was a really easy ball by Rizicki. And it was just, it was, it was a finish that was, I think, is best described by um, the commentator at the time. And I've, I've heard it quite a few times before, I think in Arsenal compilations and Potentially in the ground, they've shown that highlight before. Just dynamite, absolute dynamite. Um, and it was funny, that was um, his fifth goal by that date in September. So by mid-September in a, in, a, in a campaign, his role isn't to be a goal scorer. It was pretty good. And later that season, probably my favourite, up there with my favourite Arsenal moments of all time, actually, was Sesk's goal at the San Siro against AC Milan. And it was almost a replica of that goal. And you thought, oh, maybe the goalkeeper should have saved that. But I think it's something about his technique um, from from far distance. He, he just hits it so cleanly. Um, and it was really, really peak Cesc Fabregas. Yeah, I do remember at that stage he was the bee's knees, really. And I don't know, do you think he's ever been... I mean, obviously, he went to Barcelona and, and Chelsea and was hugely successful at both of those clubs in terms of trophies. But I wonder... I mean, maybe you might be biased here because obviously he was playing for your club at the time. But even as someone who's, you know, a Spurs fan, do you think Fabregas was ever as exciting to watch as he was at at that period of time? I personally don't think so. I mean, you know, you see some of his his assists, for example. There's one great one at Chelsea where he kind of he passes it through the defence for Sherlock to score. And it's it's exquisite. But I think because he was the main guy he was the protagonist protagonist of the arsenal story at the time he became captain um the year later he was the golden boy he'd come through the uh through the after he got into the youth system he started out from 16 you know there was there was this affinity 
um, from the fact that the connection with the fans as well. So I think I think that story, people underestimate the story behind a player. It's almost romantic. It makes them even better than they are. And I think, I mean, again, with my bias, but I think that the, there's somewhat a little bit of that with Harry Kane. If he, was, if he hadn't have come through the system, would there be as much love for him as there is? Probably, but it's a different kind of love. And I, we kind of feel like, I guess I can't really call Cesc as my son, but maybe maybe more like an older brother. You know, we, we have that affinity with him and he was he was exceptional and no one truly, truly replaced him at all. And there's um, it's funny, straight after that goal, Danielson actually had a terrible, terrible miss. And there were there were people that were trying after I think it might have been when Cesc left or around that time. They were trying to retrofit him into that into that role of Cesc and I saw a great tweet the other day that someone got blocked by Danielson, um, a journalist, for calling him a crab. And when he says crab, I, you think about the way a crab walks, a bit like side to side. And I think they were criticising that he would always side, side would pass. And now all I can just imagine is Danielson's face on a crab, kind of walking from left to right, and like the Little Mermaid or something. It's uh, it's quite extraordinary, <laughs> really. But um, no, no, no one even himself compares to Sesk. I would say this was the start of Sesk and probably 09-10 was the end of Sesk. That was well, that was his peak. And I guess sadly for him, it didn't happen at uh, Barcelona, his homewood club, albeit he got the collective trophies. Um, Chelsea certainly felt like he was a veteran, just adding a little bit rather than being a main man. And certainly in Monaco now, I don't think, uh, I think it's a token move. Um, I'm just gutted he never came back. Yeah, I'd say as a, as a Spurs fan, I disliked Fabregas a lot more when he was at Chelsea than when he was at Arsenal. But I think that has to do with the rivalry between Tottenham and Chelsea at the time and the whole Battle of the Bridge 2-2 game where Cesc Fabregas played a very big role in the, uh, let's say, the uh, unfriendly relations between the Spurs and Chelsea players on that night. And I think Fabregas very much enjoyed being part of, of that Chelsea team that were able to stop Spurs from winning the title. But that's another another bad memory for another day. Hmm. Going to the third goal, which, again, as a Spurs fan, I probably have to admit, despite the fact that Adebayor ended up playing for us, which particularly on this day would have seemed like a bizarre thing to say, uh, that is the best goal he ever scored at White Hart Lane to put huh. 3-1 up. And actually looking back, I think it was voted, uh, I was looking on Wikipedia, so maybe this isn't true, but uh, goal of the season winners in the Premier League in the past few years and I was scrolling back and I think this goal this Adebayor goal won goal of the season as well um, I mean even I have to admit it's a spectacular strike if there's doubts about the Fabregas one with this one you know at first you maybe you let the defender off because it seems like Adebayor's taken too heavy a touch he's headed away from goal but then the the technique and the instinctiveness to turn and, and thrash that shot past Robinson I don't think there's anything he could have done there um, but I'll, I'll let you talk about it more as, it, as it's your goal what did you make of of the three one, and which of the goals do you think is better? Which do you prefer, the Adebayor one or the Fabregas one? I think um, this goal was. I, I, I'm sure I remember them doing an Arsenal top 100 goals of all time history, and th- this was definitely in the top 10. Um, I know there was one he scored, I think, against Villarreal as well that was exceptional. Um, no, for me, this was this was this was by miles better than that Cesc goal. Um, albeit it's hard to compare goals on goals. Um, I've written here the, one of the best goals I've ever seen, maybe. And that's quite a testament. I've seen a lot of goals in my time. And I think even the fact that Arsene Wenger stood up to applaud 
he didn't do that often to applaud individuals and and really um, make them stick out the crowd. He's very much a team player, especially with this young team at this time. Um, again, it was that telepathy between Sesk and Adibayor, lovely bullet pass, just absolutely perfect in terms of weight. That that touch, exceptional. That flick, exquisite, and and just a bang into the goal. You couldn't, and it was so late in on on in, in the game. I didn't realise it was that late on. It was the 90th minute. And, you know, you would have excused people for being a bit tired and sloppy during that time. Um, but no, no defender of the world, I believe, could do anything against that. That was that was exceptional, world-class talent. And really, that was his audition for for his Spurs role later on down the line. Um, and I guess that, that his audition for the for the City role he took on a couple of years after this. Um, and it makes me sad again, you know, watching such a great player with so much potential um, do something that made us so happy at the time um, and in a way it was all for nothing you know it didn't lead to a trophy um, it didn't lead to a legacy um, but I guess it depends on how the way you think about football I know Spurs fans can't think of it in terms of winning in trophies so they have to adopt this kind of attitude of these little moments um, that you enjoy and I guess it, it is about those little moments whether it's Omri scoring against Leeds um, it, you know, to win the game on his comeback, whether it's our Shabin for uh, scoring his fourth goal at Anfield, uh, Ramsey's winner against Hull. It's all about these little moments that stick out, um, regardless of, of necessarily the outcome um, and the achievement that, that comes with it. And I think that Adi Bayor goal was um, was no different. And it's funny because just before the game, Arsene Wenger was talking about, in his press conference, about Thierry Henry. Now, if you remember, he just left the club to Barcelona after that Champions League final. Um, it must have been... No, so it was the year after. He, he spent one more season with us, and this was the second season at, um, at the Emirates. And um, he said, you know, it meant a lot for their belief to start winning um, the Arsenal team, that they needed that win. And it's all about that kind of, you know, out with the Omri and in with the Adi Bayor. Um and did we think he'd be the heir? Probably. At that rate, he was unstoppable. And they played together at one point and you kind of thought he'd mentored him properly. Um, but again, I think it sums up a lot about player attitude and, and whether he had the attitude, desire to, to be an Arsenal great. Um, clearly not, uh, it seems. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was going to ask whether, looking back at a goal like that, whether the spectacular nature of the goal overrides your your feelings towards the player and, and how it ended up with him and, and Arsenal, you know, does it taint it somewhat or is the goal and the memory that that strong that it, it doesn't really matter that a couple of seasons later, he was then celebrating in front of you, you know, ran the length of the pitch to celebrate in front of the Arsenal fans in a city shirt and then went and played for your, your biggest rivals. Does that taint the goal in any way or is, is the goal so good? It, it stands on its own. I think the goal stands on its own for sure, but there's, there's a strange feeling with Adi Bayor. I don't, feel that 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 um that negativity towards him that some do because he gave me such happy moments my first real proper amazing moments in football were because of Emmanuel Adebayor um you know if I think about him at Arsenal I have no problems apart from when he flirted with AC Milan his performances started to suffer a bit um it's a really tough one it's like a lot of players that, that leave you know Van Persie I loved he left in a in a tough way a challenging way 
but I was happy for him that, you know, he went to United, he did what he had to do. And I have a lot of respect on a, on a professional level for someone who, you know, who's been loyal, but, but says, you know, it's time to do something for me sometimes, you know, you've, once you've been so selfless for such a long time, um, I think some people are, have the right to, to do that. You know, it's, 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 uh, freedom of movement it's fair enough um but no it feels uh it feels nice i feel nostalgic towards those days with Ali Bayor and, and regardless of the city celebration and the spurs and some of the the ongoings on the pitch um you know this goal really uh really is peak Ali Bayor and, and and what i'll try and remember him for um as a player in in my opinion mm. it's strange as well for me looking back at this game because as I said earlier it's sort of emblematic of the way things went not just between Tottenham and Arsenal but whenever Tottenham seemed to play big clubs at that time where we would put in a great performance but then always seem to get undone by a moment of magic and it would always be a question of well were we just outdone by by a better player in a, an incredible moment of skill or, or was there team deficiencies there and should we have actually won and we went from knocking on the door fifth place looking like we were going to sneak into the top four to then obviously I think the next season falling you know well I mean it was at the end of this season I mean this was Martin Yol's last season so actually this was quite a big turning point we hadn't started this season very well I think a few weeks earlier we'd gone 3-1 up away at Fulham and then lost uh, well not lost but felt like we lost lost the lead drew 3-3 um, there was a 125th anniversary game against Aston Villa where I think we were 3-1 down or 4-1 down and fought back to 4-4. But this was kind of the beginning of the end for Martin Yol, where it seemed like he'd taken the team as far as he can. And even though he did have them on that verge of Champions League qualification, they'd fallen back somewhat. And this game was kind of almost a sign of what was to come for him and that there just wasn't quite enough to get over the line. And whether that was just unfortunate because he didn't have the players or whether it was... Um, deeper systemic issues there as you were sort of alluding to with all the space that Cesc Fabregas has but it's interesting to contrast our performance and the result in this game in White Hart Lane to then what happened later on that season which I think will be the game I pick for our next throwback Thursday which is the 5-1 in the Carlin Cup semi-final under Juan de Ramos and when you look at that contrast in terms of performance and the overall result you can see the the difference in what we were missing, which makes it then all the more mystifying that the next season things turned so sour under Ramos and in terms of what went wrong there is still, I think, one of the great mysteries of modern Spurs history. But um, we will get on to that when we discuss the uh, the sequel, I suppose, to this game. What happened next at White Hart Lane that season? At that stage in the September sunshine, who knew that there would be another meeting between those two sides at that stadium and that it would end up so differently given the superiority of Arsenal that day I'm sure none of you were expecting um what was to come it's so funny because I I not really acknowledge that it happened in the same season those results um that we've been talking about now and that 5-1 and and it feels so alien almost and I think that that's the point of that game it was so dramatic that nobody had really seen ever seen Spurs do that to Arsenal or anything like that um and I remember it being such a big deal at the time um, I don't think you or any other Spurs fan will let me ever forget that night. Um, I think I tried, <laughs> tried my hardest over time. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, off the top of my head, just even mentioning Juan de Ramos's name, um, I just realised he managed Sevilla at one point. And there's also a, an Arsenal manager who managed Sevilla at one point, um, 
very famous one from a couple of years ago. So interesting, maybe maybe a couple of parallels there. A lot of very interesting parallels, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you do forget that these two games are in the same season because it, it does just feel like completely different universes, not just with the managers on the touchline, but the nature of the result and the performance as well. And it makes you wonder how pivotal the 07-08 season was in terms of Arsenal's decline. You look at this team and this performance and this result and you think this is a group of players that are capable of mounting a, a title challenge. But then when you see how things ended up, you wonder whether was this a season where uh, the hoodwinked curse really uh, kicked in. I don't know when the hoodwinked curse was put on Arsenal, which, uh, but I have a feeling this might have been the season where things started to change. I think we will have to uh, go into that. <laughs> Maybe in the, in the next episode when we discuss the 5-1, Jason can, can let Arsenal fans know why it, why it truly was that they uh, endured so many uh, trophyless years, what, what actually happened to Arsenal. It's a confession. We might have to get a, uh, a guest star of Keith Phillips onto the, <laughs> onto the scene. <laughs> All will be revealed. It will. <laughs>